welcome back to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, 24 worship services took place this Easter weekend. From Thursday through Sunday, it was a blast. Whether you were with us online or in person, high five to worshiping our risen savior together. In at number four, our open roof small group supports and encourages individuals with disabilities as well as their families and caregivers. Recently, a few of the girls took a trip to Misty's Closet where they bought prom dresses in preparation for a night to cherish, where they'll dance the night away and enjoy dinner and photos galore. High five ladies to more times like these. Here at number three, rooted groups are past the halfway point, growing in what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Way to go, you guys. This high five goes out to everyone in rooted right now. Here's to strong roots in God's love. In at number two, if you haven't already heard, our new song, No Matter, was released on YouTube this weekend. The song is a beautiful declaration that no matter who we are, what we've done, or what's been done to us, we matter. We're so excited to share this with you. So search One Church on YouTube to listen and share. And finally, up at number one, One Church is celebrating 16 baptisms over Easter weekend. People encountered Jesus and lives were changed. High five to new life in Christ. Death is not the end. The resurrection is real and new life is found in Jesus. Thanks for joining us for our high five and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. Man, what a great day. Today's a great day. Easter was a great day. We all had a great week. Um, it's wonderful to get to be here today. We all pray with me. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for these people who are gathered here, Lord. I thank you that we come um, in, your, in your strength, Lord. Thank you for all that you do, all that you've done. Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray that you might speak to us in this time as we talk about communion, Lord, to, to wrestle with it, what it looks like, and, and Lord, the beauty of it. Lord, may you unite us together as a family in you. And Lord, I pray that not only that you unite us together, but that you might send us out, that you might um, use our lives, use our lives working together for the city of Franklin and beyond, Lord, to make an impact um, because there's people that you love and Lord, you want to do something in their lives. And so, Lord, may you use us, make us ready and willing. It's your name we pray, amen. City on a hill. So scripture, scripture will say, Jesus will say this. He says, you are a city on a hill. A city built on a hill. You are the light of the world. He begins it like this. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And I thought about that. Like, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to followers of Jesus. Which, if you stop and think about it, that's a pretty bold claim. Like, 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 we don't always think of ourselves. Like, if you were to say, like, think about how, how kind of audacious of a claim is. You are the light of the world. He's talking to his church. He's talking to his people. He's like, you are the light of the world. Like, there's darkness, and you're light to it, which is, which is which really amazing when you think about it. What I notice when Jesus tells this to his disciples, he doesn't ask them a question. He doesn't say, will you be the light of the world? Because we could often think that. Like, will you be the light of the world is what Jesus is saying. He doesn't ask it as a question. He doesn't even give it as a command. He doesn't say, you must be. Like, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to be a light of the world. What he says is, is that when you follow me, when you're walking with me, when you're living like, when you're loving people like me and serving people like me and, and, and willing to, um, to, to give your life for others, you by default will end up being a beautiful light 
to your school or a beautiful light to the people that you go to work with or a beautiful light to your family. He'll say it in a different way in other places. In John chapter 15, he'll say this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay connected to me, you will bear much fruit. And I think we all want our lives to bear fruit. Like we all want our lives to, to mean something. We all want our lives to make a difference. And sometimes we try to do it in our own strength. And you've probably done it in your own, tried to do it in your own strength. And I've tried to do it in my own strength. And we can do all right for a while, like as a mom or a dad or a husband or wife or grandparent or kid going to school, like whatever. We, we can do it all right for a while, but eventually it kind of falls apart. But if we stay connected to Jesus, what he says is that your life will bear fruit. And so that's what it means like to be a city on a hill, like like God wants to use our lives. He wants to use each and every one of our lives. Hard reconciliation I had to do in my life trying to figure out that, that God wants to use my life, that God wants to use your life. Like each and every one of us. It's the beauty of the church. So um, we have this prayer that we pray together. Let's pray for one. And the idea behind it is the power of the church is not just the gathering at one o'clock in a beautiful building. Um, for services, that's part of it. This, this is part of the church right now. We get, to, we get to worship together. We get to sing songs together. We do that together, right? We sing songs together. We give together. Like there's things that we can do in our giving financially. Like there's, there's certain things I can do and can't do financially. But, and there's certain things that you can do and I can't do financially. But what happens is like when we're able to, like, to pool it together, we're able to say, okay, how does God want to use our resources? And it's not just money either. It can be like our, your gifts and talents, your abilities, the things you're good at, the way God has made you. Like, we always have these, like, churchy boxes that we would put them in. No, it's the way God has made you to get to serve the community. Um, and so we step into that and say, God, thank you for bringing us together and help us to shine brightly where you've called us to shine brightly. So as we've been starting this series, we're starting a series called City on a Hill. And uh, we have this memory verse, Matthew chapter 5. is when Jesus will say this to his disciples. It'll be up here on the screen here in one second. But we're going to say it together, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. And as we, as we say it, I want you to, to think of it as yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, to say, okay, this is who God has made me to be. And I can, deny, I can spend some time denying it, and I can spend some time saying, well, I'm not good enough, and I don't have the words, or I don't have the situations. But Jesus is saying, no, stay connected to me, and this is what will happen. Um, so read this together with me. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. So as I said, there's things we get to do together. We get to sing together, which we don't always do in public all the time. If you think about when adults sing in public, there's not a lot of places. Maybe you're at a restaurant and it's someone's birthday and everybody comes over and starts clapping and you're like, you know what I'm talking about, the happy birthday at that moment, you sing. Everybody sings it horribly, it seems, but you sing at birthdays. Uh, you sing, what are other places that you sing together? You sing at Fenway Park. How many of you have been to Fenway? Been to Fenway? Eighth inning, eighth inning, you're singing, what are you singing? You're singing Sweet Caroline. And isn't it beautiful? Like, isn't it beautiful for a number of reasons? Just hearing Sweet Caroline play and you're singing along and, and, and the music dies at that moment and you're saying, so good, so good. Like, there's something about singing together. Well, every week, the people of God gather together and we sing together, which is, which is somewhat strange when you think about it in, in the light of our world. It's like we, we sing together, we give together, we pray together. You saw something on the screen to pray for one part. It's this prayer that we have together as a church. It's pray for one. And if you're like, well, what is pray for one? It's, it's built on this idea that the church, as it gathers, is only a moment. But there's a whole lot more time that we leave this place 
as the church, and we're in our world. And the best thing we can do, the best, the best way to release the church is to say, well, it is this moment, there is this gathering, but there's also this God wants to use your life in the lives of other people. So some of you will go to school tomorrow, sorry, and some of you will go to work tomorrow, sorry, and we'll go to all of these different places, and God will put people in our lives, and they're already there, right? They're already in our lives. You already know them, and, and, and the prayer is, Lord, Lord, please give me one person to share your love with. Lord, I'm already there. Like, like, I'm already here at work, and there's people around me that I know, and they know me, and there's maybe a way that through my life, through your Holy Spirit working in me, uh, that you want to speak to them through me. And so, Lord, let me be open to it. And so praying for one, it connects us with God. It connects us with God and says, it is so easy, like, it's so easy in our prayer life, in my prayer life sometimes, particularly when things are, are like a little rough sometimes, to like let that be my list before God, the things I pray for, which is okay. Like, God, get me out of this mess. God, I need help in this area. That's okay. Like, we are supposed to do that. We're supposed to. But sometimes if I'm not careful, my prayers can be all about, God, can you help me? God, can you help me? God, can you help me? Whereas praying for one says, God, I want, I want what your heart wants. God, I, I want to see what you're doing in the world because I know that you're up to something in people's lives and so, Lord, if there's a way that you want to use my life to make an impact on others, if it's on my family, if, I want to make, if you want to use my life to make an impact on my family or my school, then, Lord, I want, to, I want to be aware of how you want to. Can I tell you, I think, like, this picture of the church is the, be, is the better picture. It is the church unleashed into the world, each and every one of us and all of our different personalities. You, got, you guys all got different backgrounds. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different stories. We all have different gifts and abilities, and the beauty is you leave this place, and all of a sudden, all those different backgrounds and gifts and abilities are rubbing up against all different people saying, God, use us. Use us for, this, for your purpose. All right, so it also connects us to people, because God cares about people. Jesus came to the world for people. Scripture will say, for God so loved the world, meaning people, he so loved people that he sent his son into the world and so it connects us to people because it says, okay, I don't want to just go through my life living only for me. I want to have my eyes open to those around me. God opened my eyes to help me see those around me. And then it connects us to the mission of God ultimately because Scripture will say, Jesus will say this, when I'm lifted up, I want to draw all men to myself. I want all men to know of my grace and my mercy and, and, and the life that they can find in me. And so we get to partner with God in his mission in the midst of it. So we pray together. And then kind of the last thing we're talking about this morning, it's actually the whole thing we're talking about for the rest is, Communion. Communion is interesting. Like, I, I often think like if, if like you were coming to the church for like the first time and you'd never like been to church before and someone has you grab this little cup with this weird little wafer, which is very en engineered, very, very well engineered, right? When you stop and think about it, it's like, this is, this is kind of a cool idea of how they made it work. But you're like, what is going on here? Like, like, step back and imagine like you're seeing this for the first time. If you're communing for the first time, you're like, what is this? Like, wh why do we have this microscopic amount of grape juice? And why do we have this little weirdly tasting wafer type of thing? It's like, what is going on here? And, and what you'll find is like Jesus will have a meal with his disciples before he, he's betrayed and before he's about to go to the cross. And he says, I've longed to have this meal with you. So they're actually eating a little, uh, I mean, a full meal, not a little meal. Um, 
They're actually having a full meal together, which was actually a celebration of God's deliverance generations and generations before. They were slaves in Egypt, and God had sent Moses as a deliverer to deliver them out of Egypt, and they were supposed to, weird, I know, we talked about this a little bit, but they, they were supposed to sacrifice a lamb and put it on their doorpost in order so that they, they weren't killed, so that they would be saved. And Jesus now takes this moment to say, well, you used to celebrate that, but now I'm going to be the Passover lamb. Now I'm going to give my life for you, and it's going to be through my blood that you're going to find salvation, and that sounds weird, but there's a lot there to like kind of wrestle through. And so Jesus says, I, I've, I've been excited to have this meal with you. And I was thinking about meals. There's something about meals, isn't there? Like there's something about meals together. And I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know if I say, think about like a great Christmas meal that you had, like one of the greatest Christmas meals of your life. My guess is, Sights have come to your mind, like visions have come to your mind, smells maybe have come to your mind. People, particular people have come to your mind, like, like what's the greatest Thanksgiving meal you ever had? Like, like what's the greatest meal mess up that you've ever had? Like, like, like all of these things, all of these meals, are, are they coming? Are they, are they filling you? Smells? Isn't it weird how even smells of like, like, like Aunt Char's stuffing, that, that, that what came to my mind right now, and I don't mean to be getting you all hungry, but about like, Meals, there's, there's something, and again, I don't know if I, we have a whole handle on what meals are, but there is something about meals, I think from the beginning of time. And when I say something, I don't mean just the eating of it. I mean like human beings coming together to eat together for a meal seems to, from the beginning, have carried a lot of significance to the point that the Jewish people believe that when you had a meal with someone, like you were making yourself one with them, which is why it was so important of like who you had a meal with because you were sharing this common union with them. And so you had to be, in their estimation, you had to be careful to, to who you were having common union with. And so meals were important. I thought also about Happy Meals. Because I remember as a kid, there was nothing more golden than a Happy Meal. Like, that was what you wanted. Like, do you guys remember, like, as a kid, like, there, you, just, you just wanted, and I, then I remember as a, like, as a parent, now my kids want Happy Meals, and now I have a whole different perspective. But like, I'm like, but now they want a Happy Meal. And, and the moment like on their faces like, where they have a Happy Meal, like, this is wonderful. And so there's something that I haven't clearly defined, nor do I know that I can, about having a meal together that Jesus knew in the wisdom of God that he had that this meal would be important. And so every Sunday we do this weird kind of thing, and I'm going to call it that, a weird kind of thing where we have a weird kind of meal together. And so what is it all about? Well, communion, I think, was meant to connect us to God. Communion is meant to connect us to God. You're like, well, how does it connect me to God? Well, it connects me to God because it reminds me of his salvation. It reminds me that he became a person. It reminds me that God became a person, which is not not an insignificant or not a small thought, right? God became a person. So communion connects me with the person. Jesus will say this. Actually, let me just read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 is where Paul begins. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth and he's helping them understand some of the ways where they've gone off in communion, where they've kind of lost perspective on what communion was about. But also in the midst of it, you get this beautiful picture of what communion is. And so let's read it. First, I'll read it and you can just read it to yourself along with me. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, which it's interesting that, that Paul include, includes that. Judas was there. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is what he said, this is my body, which is for you. This is my flesh. This is my person. This is who I am. 
given for you. Now he says this, um, this is my body which is given for you. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Now in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever, whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's this meal that Jesus says. And you don't have to open it now. I know you can kind of follow along with me. You don't have to open it right now. But he takes bread and he says, this is my body. Like, well, what's going on here? It's like, this is, this is, this is my flesh. This is, the, this is the, my personhood. And it reminds us, like, God came to earth in flesh. John will say it this way. He'll say the, the word became flesh, and he lived among us. He made his dwelling among us. I like the way another guy says, I try, he's kind of a paraphrased guy. He says, um, the Lord became flesh, and he moved into our neighborhood. He moved next door. He joined, he, he, he walked with us, he talked with us. This, this, Jesus will say to his disciples, this is my, this is my body that is given for you. And whenever you do this, may you do this in, in remembrance of, of me. And then it says he took the cup, he took the, the cup after the meal, and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. And so, so the bread, I think, like the, you see the, okay, I got a little bit of peas here, because I, I'm a preacher, so I need a little bit of alliteration. So you got the body, which is the person. You got the bread, which is the person of Jesus. You have the blood, which I think is a reflection of the promise of God. Now, what are we talking about? He says, this is the blood. He says this interesting phrase. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. Covenant is promise. This is the blood of the new covenant. Now, new covenant is built on the assumption that there's an old covenant. And if you read some of the Old Testament, if you read the beginning of the Bible... It talks about this, this covenant that God had given to his people. You, you know it as the story of the Exodus as well. Moses goes on to the mountain. He, got, he gets the Ten Commandments. This is how you're supposed to live your life. You'll get the, the book of Deuteronomy where they'll kind of flesh it out a, a lot more of like, this is how you're supposed to live. In the Old Testament, God said, like, this is how you're supposed to live. And you're like, that makes sense. I'm not supposed to kill people. That makes sense. I'm not supposed to commit adultery. That makes sense. I'm not supposed to lie. That makes sense. There shouldn't be any other gods before me because God is the one true God. This all makes sense. The problem with the old, what the, the old covenant did, however, is that there was this list of a lot of things to honor God, but we couldn't keep them all all the time. And you felt this problem, and I've felt this problem, is like there's this standard that God has, and you're like, I'm trying to live up to that standard. Any of you trying to live up to that standard? <laughs> and you're like, ah, man, I try, but man, I, I mess up. Like we make some mistakes, and we make some failures. And so the law, the old covenant was really good in that it was meant to, like if you follow this, you will find life. Only what happened is you, you realize that you couldn't follow it, and in fact, you're like, I can't follow this at all. And so God had made this promise in the Old Testament that says, well, one day I'm going to do something new. One day I'm going to step in and I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will write my law upon your heart. And it will no longer be on tablets of stone, but it will be written inside you. And what you'll find is, is that Jesus will then come and he will become the sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, there were all of these sacrifices that were made for sins, but the problem is I kept sinning and you kept sinning, so more animals just have to keep dying. And Jesus comes and he says, no, I, I'm going to give my life. 
Now, Jesus being God, being eternal, and being perfect, he becomes the perfect sacrifice, and he's eternal at the same time. And so his, his death keeps on giving. And so Jesus says, when you take this, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. This is the new promise. And so communion reminds us of the promise of God. And then finally, he, Paul will say this in Corinthians. He says, now whenever you do this, you are proclaiming my death until I return. And so there's this proclamation. I told you I got to stay on the P's. So there's the person, there's the, what's the second? I forgot the second already. There's the person, there's the promise, and then there's the proclamation. The proclamation is whenever you do this, whenever you gather together, you're proclaiming who I am and what I've done. And what struck me is the tenses of this, because I'm a nerd. What struck me is the tenses, because it's past, present, and future. So there's something about communion. There's something about what we do that is past. Like, whenever you do this, whenever you do this, you're remembering my death. Like, there's something past. And usually when I took communion, particularly as a kid, I'm like, okay, this is the death of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me is what this table says. Like, remember me, remember my death, remember that you were loved by me, and, and, and remember all that I've done. And so I tended sometimes as a youth to kind of keep it in the past. I was like, okay, I'm going to remember. But then I realized there's something present to it because it's not just the past, is it? Like, we're, we're going to have communion in a second, so there's something not a little more than a second, sorry. So, so, so there's something present about hap. So it, it means something now. It's, it's proclaiming his death. So there's something about us, this is weird, there's something about us gathering together and having this meal together that proclaims the death of Jesus. Now, what all that looks like, I'm not sure, but it somehow proclaims the death of Jesus. But then it doesn't stop there. It goes into the future, which you wouldn't think proclaiming death would have a future thing, but it says, until I come again. So there's also something forward-thinking about communion. And here's what other parts of Scripture will say. is like, there's other parts of Scripture that are beautiful. It's like on a mountain of the Lord, we were going to have this giant feast. After God has restored all things and brought all things back together, there will be a beautiful feast upon, upon the mountain, and it's called the Feast of the Fatted Things. That's what my Uncle Dean in King James Version used to call it, like a feast of fat, because we like fat, right? It's a feast of fatted things. It's, it's everything that you're longing for. It's, it's every picture of the world restored and as it's supposed to be right there. And Jesus will say, we're going to eat this again. So there's something about communion that's the death. It's, it's the remembrance. There's something about communion that we do presently as a city on a hill to show the world the one in whom we have given our hope, but then there's also something future about it. And so communion connects us to God as salvation, but communion also connects us to each other. Communion connects us to people. Like, we eat this meal together. Like, Franklin, we're going to eat this meal together. And there's something about eating the meal together now, family meals, I was thinking about family meals. I'm thinking about meals, and I'm thinking, like, I got, I got a lot of kids, and so family meals, they're beautiful, but they're chaotic. Like, we'll, uh, the meal will be ready, and, and some of my kids will be in the basement playing video games, and I'll call them up, and they don't come right away, and I get mad, and they get mad, and all that, and then, then my other kids, my girls will show up, and they'll just start eating. Like, what in the world do you do? And they're eating, just eating. They don't care. And, and then the boys will come up, and they'll eat everything else. And, and like, what is going Family meals, right? Family meals are beautiful, but they're chaotic. They're messy, and there's, there's problems with them all along the way. Well, guess what's happening in Corinth? There's problems with the meal. There's problems with how they're having the meal. And here's what I think Paul really wants to address, is they're not, they're not actually thinking about each other. There's something in our human nature that thinks about ourselves and they're not thinking about each other. And communion, man, communion is something beautiful. Imagine a world that might, 
really be divided. But Jesus is doing something that says all of those walls that people have, financial walls, like rich and poor walls, like, like imagine the walls. Imagine Jesus is saying, I want to bring a meal where everybody comes together. You got flaws, you're invited to the meal. You got problems, you're invited to the meal. You got no money, you're invited to the meal. You filthy rich, you're invited to the meal. Everybody's invited to the meal. So that's this meal. That's the beauty of communion, this common union in Jesus who's bigger than anybody. Well, what's happening in Corinth is that they've kind of adopted what the culture is doing. So if they had, so usually it was the wealthy who were able to host people for the communion meal. It wasn't necessarily in the church building. It was in people's homes. And so the wealthy... They had the, the, the bigger homes and they sometimes had the, the more connected relationships about people who are wealthy with themse uh, among themselves. And so they usually would invite their friends and there's only so much space. And so what's happening is like their wealthy friends are showing up and they're all eating together and then the poor are showing up but everybody's already eaten what's already been there. Everybody's already eaten and so some are going hungry. It's kind of putting it in very simplistic terms, but that's what's happening in Corinth, is some people are showing up and they're eating everything, and they're getting drunk, and Paul's like, what are you guys doing? And then people are showing up and they're poor and they don't have any food, and so they don't get to share in this. So they're not able to share in this common meal together that was meant for everybody. They're eating it all up. And so Paul will write to them and he says, what you guys are doing is it's doing more harm than good. If there is this unity feast, if there is this coming together, and you're still making all of these divisions. He's like, I'm not sure if you understand what communion is. And so this is what he goes on to say. This is the correction that he brings. Um, so then, whenever you, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. As I said, I kind of grew up in the church, and I was thinking about eat, eating, taking communion in an unworthy manner. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what are we talking about when it says taking communion in an unworthy manner? What I always assumed it to be, and this is until probably a decade ago, I always thought it meant that before I take communion, and I'm not saying it doesn't mean this, I'm just saying this might not be the full what it means. I used to think it means that I gotta get my life all sorted out. Like I gotta, I gotta confess the things before God. Like sometimes I, like we, can, we can not confess things before God. And so I gotta get my heart right with God. I gotta examine myself because I don't wanna take it in an unworthy manner. I don't know if you've ever felt this. I gotta, I, I need to be, which means I need to be worthy. And like, if I have to be worthy, I gotta figure out what worthy thing I need to do so that it's taken in a worthy manner. Now, I think that might be part of what it's saying, at least a piece of what it's saying. But if you go read through Corinthians, what you realize is the real struggle is with their relationships with each other. And if you watch how Jesus talks about the church, he talks about it as his body. The body of Christ, the body of believers. If you read through some of Corinthians, it'll talk about you are the body of Christ, he says. Like some of you are hands, some of you are feet, some of you are mouths, some of you are, are ears. Some of you, we all have different parts in the body and God has ordered them all properly. And so Paul in Corinthians, as he's writing this letter to them, he's talking about this body language. And then he says this, anyone who takes communion in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body of Christ. And I always thought it meant I'm supposed to stare at the bread and make sure I'm not somehow betraying Jesus in the midst of it. And that might be part of it. But if I look at the context of Corinthians, what he's also saying, at least, is am I looking at the people around me? Am 
Am I more consumed with myself in this meal? Or do I actually care about the people who I'm with? Am I gorging myself while someone else is struggling? Am I... Am I thinking only of me rather than the union that God wants to bring? And so it says anyone who takes it in an unworthy manner is eating and drinking judgment on himself. And you're like, well, why are you drinking judgment, eating and drinking judgment on yourself? It's because in this meal you're saying Jesus has brought us all together and tore down every walls, but as you're doing it, you're putting up all of these walls and pretending like other people don't matter. And so I think at least a part of this self-examination comes down to some questions that we might have before eating the meal, and it's this. Is there someone in my life that I'm refusing to forgive? Like, am I gorging myself on the grace of God, which I suppose is okay? Like, am I gorging myself on the grace of God, but I'm not giving grace to someone else? Like, I'm fine and happy to let God forgive me, but I certainly am not ready to forgive someone else. And so I think Paul will say, no, that's not what it's all about. This meal is about forgiveness. This meal is about looking at my brother or sister and saying, I'm, I'm going to set you free from the thing I've held you under. Is there someone in my life that I think I'm better than? The communion meal, the common union, is meant to destroy all of those walls, which means, man, we're all in need of Jesus. Man, we all need the body, the person that's been given for us. Man, we all are hanging on the promise of God. And is there any in my life that I think I'm better than it? Then is there anybody in my life that I'm denying love to? Like if this, if this meal, is, if the very representation of this meal is like this is the love of God for you, and what does it look like? It looks like him giving his life to die for you. Like a love that is the one looking for you, looking for the lost, and like, hey, I come to me and I will show you what life looks like and I'm, I'm drinking up in this like praise God I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's here for me but I'm not actually seeing the people who need the love of God in my life like what Paul's like what you're drinking judgment on yourself because you're acknowledging the unity that Jesus has come to bring but you're not actually living like that lastly community I mean communion connects us to, to mission connects us to his purpose. And so I'm thinking in my life, I'm thinking, okay, as I'm going through 1 Corinthians, I'm like, why does Paul care so much about how they take communion? Like, why does Paul care so much? And, and here, here's the conclusion I came to, down to. I'm thinking about meals. Have you ever been to a restaurant and saw the picture on the menu and then you ordered it? And what you got on the plate was not what was in the picture. How many of you ever had that moment? Like on the picture, you're like, oh, this looks huge and delicious. And then all of a sudden it comes and like, this is tiny and horrible. Have you ever had that, ex have you ever had that experience? Now, take that and translate that to the church. Someone walks in and says, oh, I, this is supposed to be beautiful and wonderful. Only I come in contact with the follower of Jesus. And this is small and insignificant. And I, I don't know how to reconcile this. And so Paul is saying, look, guys, if we're going to have this meal together, it's got to be the real deal. If we're going to have this meal together, we're going to have our, our eyes on what God has done for us, our connection with him. We've got to have our eyes on the people around us and say, man, is there, is there struggle that we're having with one another that, that needs resolved so that they're not having a common union without actually having a common union together so that it's a better representation of who Jesus is? Finally, verse 31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, if like we're thinking about, okay, who are we as the church? Who are we as followers of Jesus? 
Will we, not come under, um, we would not come under judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined. God's correcting us now. It's like Corinthian. It's like, okay, these meals are out of hand. Let's get them back together. So it, that helps bring life so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. Communion. Communion is this beautiful picture of a God who gave himself for us, of the unity that we, get, we are in together. Whether we like it or not, we are in this together by the blood of Jesus. Like, we are in it together. And what Paul will say is, like, because we're in it together, we gotta, we gotta live like we're in it together. We gotta stand by each other like we're in it together. We gotta forgive like we're in it together. And as we do it, we proclaim the, the death and the resurrection until he comes. As so if you have your communion, you can, you can open it, and Jesus will say this. This is, my bud, blot, this is my body. This is my flesh given for you, which is a beautiful picture. He says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He says, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. He says, I want you to know there's a promise for you. The promise for you is it's not by your goodness, it's not by your good deeds, it's not by you figuring everything out that you can find salvation in life. It's by me. It's what I have done. It's a gift freely given. And so whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Would you all stand with me? Maybe you're here today and there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe you're here today and there's someone you've been overlooking. Maybe there's someone today, I'm here today and you just need prayer. Tammy's down here. I know that she'd be more than willing to pray with you. I'll be down here if there's any way I can be praying for you. We, we'd love to do that because we're in this together. And if today's the day that you have been curious about Jesus and he's inviting you to, to come join his family, like such weird and beautiful language that we are invited together into this family. Everyone is offered a seat at the table. May you know that you're invited to, to know Jesus. And we have this other beautiful thing called baptism. And it's this beautiful picture of as Jesus gave his life, now we give him our lives so that the old can be buried and the new can be arisen with him and we get to live as a new creation in him. That, that offers to you today to be baptized into him. We have water. and So if God so stirs your heart, that is available as well. We all pray with you. God, I thank you for today and I thank you. I thank you for this meal that Lord, it's so small in its physical sense. But Father, in what it means. God, I thank you that you are for us. For every person in this room, that you are for us and not against us. God, I thank you that you invite us to your table. Lord, help us to love each other well. God, show us where we need to grow and our love for others, where we need to forgive, where we need to let go. Father, I pray that we might be a city on a hill, that as you send us out into this world, that we might be shining lights of the wonderful love and grace and mercy of Jesus. It's in him we pray.
place knowing that we are invited into his great family and we worship the God who has the greatest name. Go in peace, Franklin. Thank you for joining us for worship today.